Good morning, Grace Church. How are... We can do better than that. It's Thanksgiving week, guys. Good morning. How are we feeling? Like, do we have all of our shopping done, or do we still have that dreaded like day before Thanksgiving market basket run that we still got to do? Ugh. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, well, welcome. My name's Dan. Uh, it is so good to see you all here. And we've been in this series called The Art of Gratitude, and it started last week. We'll continue through next week. Obviously around Thanksgiving, and then after that, give you a little teaser for our Christmas series. I am so excited for just kind of the angle that the pastors decided to take with our Christmas series this year. And so I'm really excited uh, for all of us to be a part of that. And some of you are like, Dan, you just said Christmas and Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet, so you're canceled. We're not going to listen to anything more. Um, but no, I'm, really, I'm just really excited uh, for that coming up. Um, turn to Luke chapter 17. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can go to the table of contents. If you don't know where that is, if you have like a Bible app on your phone, Luke chapter 17 is the passage that we're going to be uh, teaching out of this morning. Um, so just to turn there uh, before we kind of get going. And I had this question, kind of, or maybe this point of realization as I was preparing for this Sunday, and it's, or an observation. Have you ever wondered, it's like so hard to be thankful when things happen at the worst times. And there's some things that are just, there's never a good time, like it's always a bad time, like a flat tire. Like I never, I never am like, wow, this really came at a convenient time in my schedule. Because if I'm driving somewhere, like I'm trying, I'm trying to get somewhere, there's never a convenient time for the water heater to go out. Because man, I've had, I've had warm showers all year, but the day that that goes out and I'm stuck with cold showers, man, do I get grumpy and complaining. Or, this is the absolute worst one for me, is occasionally you get, you know, those like little like mouth sores that you can get, like you bite the side of your lip and it, you know, gets all gross and whatever. Well, this is a long time ago. As a kid, I remember something happened and I started feeling one of these sores on the Monday before Thanksgiving. And then Tuesday, it was a little worse. Wednesday was a little worse. And by Thursday, it was like, I didn't like moving my mouth. I didn't like talking. I didn't like eating. The worst possible day to have this mouse. Or not, I wasn't in like this season of gratitude. I'm like, wow, I'm so thankful that I could eat normally the rest of the year. No, I was just super grumpy in that moment. So when is the proper time to be thankful? After we receive gifts, after something good happens, maybe we receive good news in some way. Is that a good time to be thankful? An amazing meal? I just had a delicious bowl of ramen this last week. In the cold weather, guys, that was perfection. Easy to be thankful then. But if this is the case, then what about all the other times? Every other one of the times, the normal, the mundane, the routine, and the ordinary. What about those times? And what we're going to do today, this morning, is we're going to look at this passage in Luke 17. And Jesus does something really incredible with 10 individuals. And as we look at this passage, I firmly believe that we're going to learn something about really unique and incredible about Jesus and God, and we're going to learn something about these 10 individuals, and I also think we're going to, look, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves 
in the process. And so Luke chapter 17, let's dive in, let's get going, looking at a really neat story. Luke 17, verses 11, 11 through 19, says this, as Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, not only is this a really interesting and intriguing story where we see, obviously, response and gratitude, but there's a lot going on that I want to quick talk about. Um, there's a lot of maybe terms that were referenced that I quick want to highlight that makes it unique. And the first one being leprosy. Like, what is leprosy? If these guys were sick, what does that look like? Well, it's a skin disease that is, uh, has bacteria that infects your skin. It actually rots your skin and flesh, like that's where it starts. But it's a basic infection, and believe it or not, the, the, it actually exists today still, except all you need is antibiotics to treat it. So it's a simple, simple disease to heal now, but back then there was no antibiotics or anything. And so if you had this disease, it would slowly rot away at your flesh and your skin. It would then move into your nervous system, preventing those who are diseased from knowing whether or not they had injuries, which would produce more infections, and the vicious cycle would continue. These individuals were pushed to the edge of society, and they couldn't come within 20 feet of any other person. That means that they couldn't shop in stores. They couldn't get fresh produce to cook and eat good food. They weren't even allowed to come anywhere close to the worship or the temple or any public spaces. In fact, the disease was so severe and taken so seriously that as soon as they heard voices coming from a distance, they would have to yell as loud as they could, unclean, unclean, warning passerbyers of the potential exposure to leprosy. If that wasn't bad enough, there was also a spiritual implication as well. Like not only are you stuck here, but the Jews associated leprosy as God's punishment for particular sins. So when the lepers yelled unclean, it was also a public humiliation of their sin and the assumed spiritual disappointment that was believed to accompany their disease. So I think we can understand, oh, I mean, just, can you imagine having this? Like no hospital, no doctor is going to look at you, no one to take you in. There's no hope for a future. You can't remember the last time you hugged your, your daughter or your son. You just, you, 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 
You're left by hoping that someone brings you food that week. This was the vicious cycle that they were stuck in. And at verse 12, it says they stood at a distance. And I think we can see like the disease forced them to approach cautiously and reluctantly. And I wonder, to bring it to us here this morning, has the state or the condition of your life, whatever that looks like, has that caused you to approach slowly and cautiously to God? Have you go, you know what I've done? I know what I've done. I don't think I really deserve to be loved by him. I know my history. I know my past. Things have happened to me. Things, choices I've made. I'm just, I'm going to be very, I'm going to tiptoe towards this God because I don't know if I'm worthy of being loved or saved or cared for. Have you believed that about yourself? And we can see why Jesus would show such careful attention to these individuals. Like at the heart of this is the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom that he is trying to usher and understand. Like he's not about this big kingdom. He's about healing the most helpless individuals in this case. What we learn about the compassion that is on display. A commentator named Matthew Henry says this. He says, the leprosy was a disease which the Jews supposed to be inflicted for the punishment of some particular sin. And to be, more than other diseases, a mark of God's displeasure. And therefore Christ, who came to take away sin and turn away wrath, took particular care to cleanse the lepers that fell in this way. Did you know that God has that same view towards you and towards me? Like he sees, he sees the sickness, he sees the choices, he sees why we would maybe keep ourselves at a distance and he goes, no, you're exactly, you're exactly who I want to understand my goodness. Now, it's not just leprosy that's involved here, but there's a lot of other things. This is a mixed group, Samaritans and Jews. Why is this highlighted? Why is it brought up? In fact, at the beginning of Luke, who is a doctor, Luke is a doctor, and he, he says at the very beginning, he's like, I have gone through great lengths to make sure that what I have, that everything that I write down here is accurate. I've talked to all the eyewitnesses. I've cross-referenced all of this to make sure that this is accurate. So why bring up this idea of Samaritans and Jews mixed? Well, believe it or not, the Samaritans actually used to be Jews, they used to be Jews, and now they don't get along. Why? Because the Samaritans, as other nations were around them, they saw all the, the bright, colorful, and sexy things in the other nations, and they pursued them instead of being faithful. But they would still try to come back and worship, and so they go, okay, we want all the good food over here. We want to go sleep with all the men and women from over here. We want to live our lives like this over here, but also try to come back and worship. And these Jews were like, Jews were like no, like, this is, not, this is not what we're about, which caused friction, and eventually they became very, very staunch enemies. But this is a mixed group between Samaritans and Jews because of their irreversible disease, social barriers were set aside. And they would have found community and bonding together as sick people. They don't have families anymore. If you're like, okay, well, normally I wouldn't hang out with you, but you're the only person that I can 
And so they would. A foreigner was the one that returned in gratitude in verse 16. It wasn't a Jew. It was a foreigner. It was the Samaritan. All 10 were healed. And we don't hear about the other nine that didn't return. Nine people, it says that they, these guys, they went out, they were healed. The safe assumptions would be that they probably returned to their families and friends. Like they, they went back and they went into the first restaurant they could. Like I can finally, finally get this again. I've been waiting so long to have a fresh cooked meal. I've been waiting so long to see my spouse or my kids or my family. They would have gone to the priest and then straight after that, I'm sure, just went back into society. And why, why did they go to the priest? Why did Jesus instruct them to go to the priest? Because how it works was, if, if you had leprosy, but now you were healed, you would go and you would show yourself because not only is there a physical disease, but there is this spiritual sickness as well. So the priest would look him over and go, okay, clearly, like God has healed you, which means whatever sin that was associated with your disease is also gone. And he would write out a certificate and they would hand the certificate to him. And that was the golden ticket back into society and normal life. So it's no surprise that nine of these guys just beeline it to the priest. It's like if we get a phone call right now from one of our close friends, be like, hey, I played the Powerball for you yesterday, and guess what? You won. Come down and claim like your fortune. I mean, I'm not going to speak for all y'all in this building, but like if I got that call, I'm like beelining it there. Like I don't want to be late. I don't want this to expire. I don't know how that all works, but like I don't want to lose out on this. This is my golden ticket opportunity. And so I beeline it there, or they beelined it to the priests. So this one man, this one Samaritan, he appears to return to Jesus before seeing the priest. This means he would not have received his certificate of cleansing yet, which would have been a golden ticket back. He hasn't gotten that yet. He stops in his tracks when he realizes he's been healed and he goes, I gotta go thank this man that just did this for me. The benefits of this can wait. I've gotta stop here. And this leads me to real, really the kind of the main point of this morning. And that's that obedience precedes the blessing. Like some of you guys have been waiting for God to show up in some way in your life. You've been waiting for him to like help make a decision. You've been waiting for some sort of blessing. You've been waiting for a bigger house for your kids. You've been waiting for a better job that's less stressful, like you fill in the blanks. You've been waiting, 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 waiting. Obedience precedes the blessing. There is this pattern that we see throughout scripture from the Old Testament to the New where God's asked his people and sometimes foreigners to do things and act in obedience. And as they act in obedience, that's when God starts to show up. In fact, there's a man, his name's Naaman, and he's this king in the Old Testament, a foreign king. He also has leprosy, but he's in a high position. He's got everything, but it doesn't matter because he can't do anything with it because he has leprosy. And his wife has this little servant girl, and the servant girl goes, hey, I know the Jews. I know they have a prophet who worships this God, and man, this dude does crazy stuff. If you want, if you want to check him out, I'd suggest going and seeing this guy. And so this king, like, 
gets all of his best chariots, gets all of his servants, and they go and they go see this prophet. And what they do is when they show up, Elisha's like, oh yeah, like God could take care of this. Doesn't even leave the couch, right? Doesn't even leave the couch. He sends his servants and like, oh yeah, God will take care of this. Just go wash yourself in, it's actually, it's a dirty river, but go wash yourself in this dirty river seven times. Leprosy's gone. Like that's your golden ticket. And because Elisha the prophet didn't even come and recognize his position as a king of a celebrity, he goes, wait a minute, I deserve better than this. And he gets all mad. He's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Like, this is dumb. Like, you didn't even come talk to me. Thank goodness he has some good friends. And maybe this is another sermon for another day because these friends go, whoa, 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 Naaman, hold on, pause, time out. He just said to go wash yourself seven times in this river and you're totally healed? Like if he'd asked you to do something really hard, you would have done it without even thinking about it. So maybe, just maybe, if this guy is real, if this God is real, go wash yourself. Like swallow your pride. And so he did and he went, washed himself and he was cleansed as he walked in obedience we see that. We also see it in a wedding. Jesus' first miracle is this wedding at Cana. And this, this is a remarkable story, a remarkable story, where Jesus hasn't done any public miracles yet, hasn't said who he is, hasn't said he's the son of God, hasn't said he's ushering in a new kingdom, nothing like that. And they're simply at this wedding, a bunch of friends and family. It's a party. It's a whole day, whole night event. And oh my goodness, they run out of wine. Like, what are we going to do? This was, the party was supposed to keep going, but it's all, the wine's gone, so I guess the party, it's like the DJ's computer crashing. You're just like, we we're all having a good time, but all right, I guess we'll see you guys. Like, that's what's happening here. The party's like, no, like, we want to keep going. This should be a lot of fun and excitement. Let's keep the party going. So they looked at Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, like, what do we do? And he's like, why are you looking at me? And then, again, another sermon for another time, because this intrigues me, but Mary pulls the mom card here. And I wonder if at some point in his teens or tweens or 20s that Jesus did stuff around the house. Like, you ever wonder that? Like, did Jesus ever do, like, something like, ooh, cool, like, here's a loaf and fish, like, out of nowhere. I don't know. But I wonder if he had done stuff in his life to give Mary reason to believe that he could perform a miracle. And so what Mary does is, she goes, Jesus, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but hey, guys, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do what he says, and leaves. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but whatever he says, and leaves. Pulls the mom card and leaves, and so Jesus goes, all right, fill these jars with water. So they did, and as they brought these jars of water to the master of ceremonies, the most important person in the room, they served the wine, well, what was now wine? Can you imagine being one of those servants being like, okay, we got these jugs of water. And somewhere in the obedience, God shows up and does a miracle. God does not discriminate between who gets the blessing and forgiveness that he offers. However, it is up to the recipient to acknowledge where these blessings come from. Charles Spurgeon, my absolute favorite preacher in the entire world, says this. He says, all 10 were willing to do a religious ceremony. That is to go to the priest. 
Only one was filled with true praise and thanksgiving. External religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing it is. Nine obey ritual where only one praises the Lord. God's blessings and healings come in response to obedience. Would you follow? Would you listen? And Jesus, in fact, notices the nine that don't show up. David Guzik, a commentator, says, says this. He says, we're, we're not all the ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Jesus missed the nine who did not return and give thanks. He marveled that they did not return to give him thanks. Jesus also notices, uh-oh, our lack of gratitude. Like, do we get too busy too caught up with what's going on around us, maybe with new and good and shiny things, but then forget what God's done. Have you ever given maybe a really thoughtful gift before? And you're so excited to give this gift. You're like, you saw it in the store, you're like, this is perfect. This has this, has this person's name written all over it. And you go and you show up and you give that gift And it's just kind of like, oh, cool, thanks. And like left and gone to the next bigger, brighter, cooler thing. That's never happened to me with my nieces and nephews, for sure, never. (laughs) And you know what? My heart's still recovering, but whatever, it's good. No, but like in that moment, and I know I've been on the other side of this too. Like I know I've been the one that's received a really, really good gift and been ungrateful for it or just kind of moved on to the next thing. But what's the emotion that associates? I get angry. Oh my goodness, I'm like, are you kidding me? Give me that good breath. I'm gonna go. (laughs) But that's my response that makes me angry. Matthew Henry continues, he says this, when he saw that he was healed, the Samaritan, instead of going forward to the priest to to be by him declared clean and so discharged from his confinement, which was all that the rest aimed at, he turned back towards him who was the author of his cure, whom he wished to have the glory of it before he received the benefit of it. The one was more concerned with his relationship and gratitude towards Jesus than than the benefits associated with the reward of being clean, of getting that golden ticket, How many of us approach God only for the benefits of his blessings? Like you want want God to show up, you want him to do something? You're like, oh, I could really use this or I could really, this would be good for me or this would be good for my family or whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with wanting those things, but we just approach him with the benefits of his blessings. And when he delivers or he saves and he heals and he blesses, we eagerly move on without returning in gratitude. Some of y'all have been waiting maybe for like you've been waiting for God to show up for a long time. And when he does, you go, yeah, it's about time. I've been praying for this for 10 months. <clears throat> Rather than returning in gratitude. In fact, Ken highlighted a warning last week that God gives. A warning associated with his blessings. There's a temptation that accompanies God's blessing. This looks different for every person. You see, there's no golden, there's no golden line or income level where this kicks in. Like, it's not like, oh, once we receive this or once I get to here, not then I'm extra grateful. 
This applies to every person in every situation with every income level, with every gift and blessing that you can possibly imagine is do we choose to turn back to God? And there's a warning in Deuteronomy. And this is this warning is to Israel. And they're a smack dab right in the middle of two incredible blessings. Like two blessings that I don't even think we can fathom. One of them was being delivered from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They are now free. Man, if that's not a blessing, I don't know what is. And God does miracle after miracle after miracle, shows up, shows up, shows up, and now they're here, and God says, hey, I have got a new land, nothing like Egypt where you've come from. This, this land is going to be flourishing. It's gonna, there's going to be oasis there. There's going to be all these good things. There's the best land in the entire countryside, and it's going to all be yours. But here's the warning. Deuteronomy 8, verses 10 says, when you've eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you, for the good home that you have, for the good car that you have, even though it's from 1989 and it barely runs. Be thankful for the food that you have, even if it's just rice and beans for today. Be thankful for what God has given you. Verse 11, but that is the time to be careful when we've been given a lot. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. What is he saying? God knows the temptation that once we have something, what's our first response to that? Oh, it's to hold on to it. It's to make sure that I don't lose this. Once I have a job, like once I've reached this that I may, I may be tempted to ease up on my standards and what were maybe my priorities at one point in my life to maintain this lifestyle, this job. I'll give up time with my family because I'm being asked to work more. I'll give up time at home, not present with my kids. Maybe give up on some church responsibilities because I'm trying to maintain this status. It's a great gift from God. But does that distract us? And yes, this man was healed from an incurable disease. But there's one unique thing that God says, that Jesus says at the very end. Read with me, verse 19. So he comes back. Jesus marvels at the nine that didn't come back. But for this one, Jesus said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And as I read this, I'm like, nobody was already healed. Like he already came back without the disease. He's already returned to Jesus. What is he healed from now? And David Guzik helps explain this. He says, your faith has made you well. There was an extra healing for this 10th leper. When Jesus said this, he likely meant God's work in the man's heart. The other lepers had whole bodies, but sick hearts. You see, what this man did, he understood what Jesus is all about. Jesus, he's wanting to usher in this new kingdom. And it's not going to take over an entire countryside. It's not going to take over a people group. He wants to understand in all fullness through every miracle, through every teaching that he says, to understand the goodness and the grace and the freedom that God offers us when we trust in him, when we choose to return to him, regardless of what we've been through. Like this is the message that Jesus is wanting everyone, all 10 of them to understand. Every miracle that he does from beginning to end, this is what he is pointing to. It's not this earthly kingdom 
but it's a kingdom of freedom, of forgiveness, of hope for you and for me and for these 10. And this one man, this one man got it. He's like, oh, I, I get it. It's not just about a new life or a new social order for myself. I understand Jesus and why he chose for me, chose to come for me. This leads me to a couple points for us. If you're a note taker, maybe taking them great. If you want to jot these down, go ahead. But if you haven't figured this out by now, all of us are in need. Like we're, we're the lepers in this story. No, I know we're not dealing with leprosy, obviously, but we are given the same scenario that they are. As God comes in and blesses our lives in unique ways, how do we react to them? As every good thing that comes into our lives is from above, what do we do with it? Do we take it and do we run? Like, oh, sweet, I love it, let's go. Or do we find a moment to pause in gratitude? We are the ones with disease and separation. We are the ones that bring baggage. We are the ones that have a reason to maybe keep our distance from God. And God's going, no, draw near. Come on, come close. I've got a blessing for you. Maybe a healing for you. Maybe some of you in this room, maybe you know a family member or whatever. Like you actually need a healing. Maybe it's not leprosy, but you need healing. Friends, we can pray for that here. We can pray for God to intervene in your lives in unique ways. All of us are in need. And my second point is we worship in response to our needs and our blessings. Notice these 10 came to Jesus before they were healed. Well, that's up to us then. Are we going to respond to Jesus in our need as well? As well as the blessing. And that's what's hard. I think it's easy for us to do one or the other. Either in our need we approach him or either in our blessing we approach him, but very hard to do both like this 10th man did. Gratitude is an action to be displayed in all seasons. And man, it's easy. It's easier to be, to be grateful when we're sitting at the beach with my dog running around with a blanket. It's 85 degrees and there's a fish and chip stand right behind me. Like, man, that is an easy time for Dan to be thankful. Very, very easy. And then a couple months later, we have the changing of colors and you're like, man, it's just so beautiful. And it's, it's like, that's a season to be easily grateful in. And then all the trees, leaves die and they fall and everything's brown and depressing. Like through all of these seasons, it's not just one, it's not just Thanksgiving. It cannot stop here. And Jesus is our example. Matthew 26. This is a remarkable connection. And as I was kind of working my way through this, I'm like, well, how does Jesus himself kind of show us what this looks like. And Jesus in Matthew 26 here, he's at his last supper. This is over Passover where this was their Christmas season without Christmas, before Christmas was here. Like all the friends and family are returning home. There's all these celebrations, all these feasts, parties everywhere. Like this was the Christmas season before Christmas. You have the extra candles, the extra lamps. Everything's gorgeous. Everything's clean. This is so much fun. And he's at this last dinner with his closest friends. And what does he do? Verses 27 and 29, it says he took a cup of wine 
And he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink it. Now, a cup of good wine is delicious, but it's not just the fact that it's a cup of wine that he gives thanks. Verse 28, he says, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. You see, Jesus is grateful for the provision of this meal, but he's also grateful for what he knows his life represents right now in this moment. And it's this beautiful connection between God the Father who is waiting to welcome him home, waiting to welcome you and I home. A beautiful connection between him and his best friends. And for you and I here in this room this morning, like he understands what's about to happen. In fact, in a moment, he's gonna ask his father to do anything else, any other way, not the way, not, not this. This is too hard. This is too painful. I'm not gonna be able to do this. But in this moment, he sees the connection. He's grateful for it, but it doesn't end there. Verse 21, verse 29, mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. You see what Jesus is also thankful for in this moment isn't the meal and the experiences he's having right here, but what he knows is coming in the future. Like he knows the baggage that you bring to the table. And he knows that he's gonna be able to forgive it. And so in this moment, he's like, man, one day there's gonna be this meal where we all sit down with the very best wine and the very best food, and there's gonna be no sin. There's gonna be like no temptations here, no diseases, no sickness. And I get to be with you. This is the next time I get to have a meal with you. Jesus is our example. And friends, if I could, I know I don't do this anywhere close to, anywhere remotely close to perfect. I do my best. But if I like look back at the 34 years of my life and I see the many ups and downs and the seasons of ups and downs that God has brought me through, I can honestly tell you I would not be standing here today if it weren't for him. And for many of you in this room, maybe that's your story or maybe that's the story you're still trying to figure out and understand for yourself that God could use you, that God could forgive you, that he could use your story and lead you out of whatever season you are in. But our response today is, would you return to him in gratitude for what he's done thus far? This leads me to a couple questions that I wanna ask you to close a couple questions, and the first one is this. One is kind of here in like the immediate with our friends and family, and the one is directly related to God, and the first one is this. Who is one person you could return to and show gratitude for? I'm not talking about Jesus, so don't say God, don't say Jesus for this one. But somewhere along the way, someone showed up and made sure that you had success, you got through a season, they encouraged you, you name it. And as a youth pastor, guys, like I can't tell you, I can't tell you how much it means to me when a former student texts me eight years after they, you know, eight years of ministry ago, whatever it was, and they go, Dan, thank you so much for what you've done for my life. I'm like, oh, uh, all right. Like, I'm good now. Like, I'm good. 
Who is one person that you can look back and that you can say, you know what, this person really impacted my life. I'm going to return, just like this leper came back, I'm going to come back and show gratitude towards them. And the second one is this, and this applies to you right now, this morning, in this moment, is would you return to Jesus in gratitude? And this is not a time to look around the room to, to see what kind of gar- cars everyone else here drove or what kind of clothes they're wearing or what kind of situation they're in. This is between you and God. Would you choose to return to Jesus in gratitude? Every story, every situation in this room is, de- is different. And could Jesus, in this season of gratitude, in this like consistency of gratitude, could he just be urging you and I to return to him, knowing the blessings that come from it? And I'd urge you to not miss this over the course of the upcoming weeks. It's true, we can be grateful for gifts, lights, family dinners, traditions, cookies, hot cocoa, stockings, and all the wonderful things that come with Christmas, Thanksgiving, and this season. But don't be like the nine that let the overwhelming nature of the season lead you to forget and to return and thank Jesus for what he has given you. This is a choice, and it can be a hard choice, because the benefits or the next season can be attractive that we want to move towards. Parents, grandparents, leaders in your home, I urge you to set an example with your kids, with your grandkids, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. Encourage gratitude everywhere you go, Start with yourself and watch what God does through the gratitude that you display in your own life. Even if you're from a, you're like, Dan, my family's none of them are Christians. Like, it's wild. Like, you don't understand. My family is wild. Okay? Show gratitude. I guarantee you God will show up in a marvelous way in that moment. We're gonna play a song at the end here. We always... We always end with a couple songs in response. Um, that's just a moment for you to return to God. Return to God. And the song that we're going to sing after wrap-up is, it's called Same God. And it's singing about this God that was the same for Israel in, in Deuteronomy, is the same for the 10 lepers back in Israel, is the same for us today, here, now. Like this God that is welcoming us with open arms in whatever season we are in, like he is there for you. Would you return to this same God who has always been faithful, always loving, always consistent, never leaves or forsakes you? Would you return to him today? Would you be an example of that with your friends and family over the course of the next five weeks, six weeks? Don't miss out on an opportunity to be like this one person who recognized the source of all the good things in his life. It's from Jesus. Don't miss out on that. But also don't let it stop this week. Don't let it stop in just the good times. Don't let it stop at Christmas, dinner, presents. Return to Jesus day after day after day. Friends, he is worth returning to. Let's pray. God, we just 
we thank you for how you've worked. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room right now that's just having a hard time being grateful because everything's too difficult, it's too dark, it's too hard. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you surround them right now, that they would feel your presence and that you would lead them that they would, and that we would walk in obedience. And that as we are walking, we would not forget to return to you and thank you for all the big and all the small and everything that you have given us in our lives, returning to you in gratitude. Thank you for loving us the way you have. In Jesus' name, amen.